Hi, welcome to episode 48 of Global Exchanges, a podcast about foreign exchange markets and related issues. In this week's episode, my co-host Stephen Gallo and I discuss an analogy of the situation facing Fed Chair Powell and other central bankers, along with FX market implications. The title of this episode is, Is Powell a Maverick? Hi, I'm Stephen Gallo, a London-based FX strategist. Welcome to Global Exchanges, presented by BMO Capital Markets. Hi, I'm Greg Anderson, a New York-based FX strategist. I'm Stephen's co-host. In each weekly podcast like today's, we discuss our perspectives on the global economy and the foreign exchange market. We also bring in guests from the FX industry and from related financial markets like commodities. We strive to make this show as interactive as possible, so don't hesitate to reach out by going to bmocm.com slash global exchanges. Thanks for joining us. Okay, it's the 9th of August, 2022. Thanks for listening to Global Exchanges. Greg, let's kick things off. As you and I have talked about in the recent past, uh, we're at an interesting juncture here in FX markets. So first of all, the the calendar is approaching mid-August, and many of us who are working, we're sitting waiting for what will probably be a busy autumn season. And it's already been an up and down Q3. Right, We had a pop higher in the broad dollar in early Q3, uh, but since then it has been bleeding lower and it feels like many investors are eager to call that early Q3 pop the, the high for the cycle in the dollar. But we've also seen up and down in the economic data releases. Uh, stateside, we had two quarters of negative real GDP growth, two consecutive quarters, but last Friday's jobs report for the month of July showed a very strong labor market. In the euro area, slightly in contrast, we've had a number of really weak economic surveys and other data prints. The labor market probably has a bit more slack in it than in North America. But the second quarter, from a GDP growth perspective, was decent in the euro area. So from this side of the pond, we've been hearing about extreme summer heat in Europe. Any comments there? As a noteworthy topic, Greg, I think this summer has definitely given people a real sense that we are truly in a cycle of higher average temperatures across Europe. England and Wales specifically have basically had the driest January to July stretch since the mid-1970s in terms of rainfall. My other anecdote, just briefly, would be that although the 75-76 drought uh, was more severe than what we're currently facing so far, uh, we have seen new highs in terms of temperature in, in, in the current period. So in a nutshell, it's real. Hey, Stephen, I don't want to make light of what sounds like a very serious situation, but I've got to ask something more on a personal level. Have you had a chance to cool off in the movie theater by taking in this summer's top-selling movie, Top Gun Maverick? I haven't, Greg, but you know, it's not a bad idea given this heat. Um, at the same time, uh, I suspect higher energy costs will be forcing cinemas to uh, increase their, their ticket fees if that hasn't happened already. Yep. It was the most expensive movie I've ever paid for. Without dropping too many spoilers that uh, ruins it for you and any of our listeners who haven't seen the movie yet, let me just uh, take you to the climatic scene near near the end of the film. At that point, the 
old guy Navy pilot, uh, Maverick, uh, and that's his call sign or, or nickname. He, he's trying to land an old fighter jet from the 1970s on an aircraft carrier. And conditions are really difficult with clouds causing bad visibility and vicious crosswinds and so forth. It, it's a really suspenseful moment. Uh, and, you know, I'll point out Maverick uh, isn't at an advantage relative to younger pilots because he's old enough to have flown this type of uh, aircraft before. Uh, but but it's still a really tough task because the plane is so different from anything that he has flown for many years. Uh, and then and then the conditions are so tough. So now the analogy. With the supply shocks that we've seen over the past two years, we've got an economic situation that's straight out of the 70s, just like that F-14 uh, that Maverick tries to land in the movie. And we've got financial markets uh, full of young pilots who have only flown 21st century aircraft in 21st century conditions. Central bankers tend to be more senior, uh, like Maverick. So we do have people like Chair Powell or uh, Madame Lagarde who can maybe land a, a 70s airplane. But still, the conditions are tough. Expanding just a bit further on, on the analogy, we've also got strange economic data, like the contrast between payrolls and GDP that you mentioned, Stephen. I'd, I'd think of that as akin to clouds that make visibility poor for a pilot. And then we've got, you know, all these geopolitical crosswinds like the Ukraine war and now the Taiwan situation, uh, et cetera. Plus the updrafts and the downdrafts from the pandemic haven't entirely subsided. And of course, the aircraft carrier is bobbing up and down in the waves on the ocean. So look, without spoiling the movie any further, there's the analogy and, and the reason for our title. As market participants, at this point, we're just like the crewmen sitting on the deck of the aircraft carrier as spectators, basically, wondering if Powell is going to be able to land this plane, i.e. finish the tightening cycle uh, without causing a recession that, that crashes into the ocean. You know, it's a poignant comparison, Greg. And I think going back to what I mentioned earlier, the weather aspects of the current environment in the UK, they simply amaze me. So we've got similar economic conditions to take your line of thinking. We've got similar economic conditions, but also similar weather phenomena uh, to what was experienced in the 1970s. So let me ask you, Greg, about how far out, so to speak, from the carrier is Powell right now? And what does the glide slope look like for the Fed? Great questions. So I think Powell is about halfway into his approach, but he's still a few minutes out, uh, which I would roughly translate to three to six months before he either touches down on the carrier deck or crashes into the ocean. And I would say that the conditions have forced him to take a much steeper approach angle than is normal. But thus far, his glide soap, it seems to be okay. When Powell first steepened the approach with the first 75 basis point uh, rate hike in June, markets freaked out uh, about that just a little bit. And so we had a four-week period where the Bloomberg uh, dollar index rallied about 5%. But now it sort of seems like the crosswinds have abated a bit. So, for example, oil has backed off 15 to 20%. 
And with that, equity and currency markets have given Powell a little higher probability of achieving the proverbial soft landing. Look, this situation seems to be more about the conditions than pilot skill, actually. So I think we're going to pass through several months where we just sit and watch the weather and wait. Right, Greg. So what we're basically saying, I think, what you're saying is that conditions are very fluid by both recent and historical standards. And even though it's within Powell's ability to fine-tune monetary policy settings for a soft landing, there are plenty of factors beyond his control which could still throw the plane off course. I mean, basically, pilots tend to hope for the best, but always, always plan for the worst. Is that about right? I mean, I don't want to over-dramatize things, but to me, that feels right. And notice, I mean, I'm using the word feels here instead of citing specific data or evidence. I think a lot of this situation for both investors uh, in the FX market and the Fed and Powell is about feeling our way forward, right? That sounds right, Stephen. Uh, This is a a fly-by-feel situation for Powell. And I think it's also an observe-by-feel situation for us. The only thing that uh, I would maybe add further to the analogy is that I don't think that Powell can pull up and take a second approach if some gust of wind comes up right before he's supposed to touch down. Either he lands the plane and we all celebrate, or he drops it into the drink and we all mourn. It just seems like a really binary situation. All right, Greg, so let's talk about the asset class specifically now, FX. What happens to the dollar if he lands the plane? What happens to the dollar if he crashes into the ocean? In the case of the USD, it's a bit counterintuitive maybe, but uh, with the real trade-weighted dollar already about 15% above its long-run average, due in large part to uh, extreme uncertainty, I would say that if Powell lands the plane, then I think the U.S. dollar relaxes lower. And that's uh, that's just a move in the direction of mean reversion. And it corresponds with recovering global equity prices, lifting equity-linked currencies in particular, but also probably lifting some uh, really depressed currencies. And there are a lot of them, uh, like Euro, uh, Kiwi, some of the LATAMs, uh, maybe even yen, and, and so forth. So uh, now, Stephen, let me switch it over to you. ECB President Lagarde has got her own plane to land. Is her job easier or harder than Powell's? And what happens to the euro if she crashes into the drink? Yeah, Greg, I think this is an important transition. I want to just briefly mention the FX side of the equation first and then go into the details. I think the main thrust of my argument as it has been, would continue to be that on their own, the major European currencies are not really in a position uh, to drive the dollar lower, Uh, not what their current economic, geopolitical and underlying flows pictures. Yes, of course, there are positive event risks out there. In other words, positive shocks that could happen. Um, But for now, it still looks as if the real movement has to come from the dollar component of the exchange rates in question. And when that happens, by default, some of those fundamentals for the European currencies will heal. Not all of them, some of them, uh, but the main movement has to come from the dollar. So when we turn to the euro and really Europe in general, it seems to me that the ingredients are there for 
elevated inflation pressures to remain stickier, maybe stagflation conditions to persist for longer, if you if you like that terminology. It's true that the food and energy price aspects of the backdrop in Europe is one of the most important elements of the story, and there tends to be more volatility in those prices than in underlying inflation. I don't think that necessarily means that high inflation or high inflation expectations can't become embedded. I think they can still become embedded. Secondly, there's potentially going to be even more pressure on governments in Europe, in the euro area, to step in to support economies through various means because of the war and the economic situation in general. And that could complicate things immensely for the European Central Bank. Maybe it already has, Greg. We know that the the euro area is not fiscally integrated, and that fact is constraining the ECB's pace or ability to tighten policy. I guess the way to look at this is that if inflation pressures cool on their own uh, for some reason, which could happen, the ECB might just get lucky enough. But if they don't, I think you have to draw the conclusion for now that the probability of a hard landing in Europe is higher than it is in North America, and that the ECB has a much more difficult task to complete. Okay, so uh, let me ask you about another pilot in this plot. This one is a bit younger than both Powell and Lagarde, but is a renowned student of history, so uh, maybe he can fly a really old plane. What about Andrew Bailey, governor of the Bank of England? Is the task of landing the plane on the aircraft carrier deck easier or harder for him than it is for Powell and Lagarde? And what happens to the pound if he crashes into the sea? Well, let me give you my angle uh, on Sterling and the Bank of England, Greg. The base case is for the BOE to deliver a bit more tightening in terms of uh, rate hikes and balance sheet reduction this year. The August policy announcement, in my view, may have been one indication that the bank is running out of wiggle room. Uh, because of the added hit to the economy from tightening and the fact that the UK is probably even a, more interest rate sensitive than the US economy. So I think the, the pound is in a very tough spot if the BOE can't slow inflation down. And it's also in a very tough spot if, if the BOE tries to slow inflation too much. So a lot of things have to go just right for the BOE is basically what I'm saying. And when I think about the August policy announcement and the monetary policy report, what I think the bank has resorted to now is lifting or elevating its recession rhetoric in order to attack the risks or alleviate the risks of a wage price spiral, rather than to go uh, at attacking those risks purely through tighter monetary policy. And this risk of a wage price spiral and the issue of firms not being able to recruit uh, staff in different parts of the country, it came up a number of times, not only in the press conference following the policy announcement, but also in the interviews that Andrew Bailey did post-press conference. I mean, in a nutshell, it's not a horrible thing to be going into a growth slowdown with a tight labor market, but you run the risk of a harder landing further down the line if inflation becomes embedded and you end up in a wage price spiral. And I think that's one of the things Andrew Bailey most fears a wage price spiral. So, Stephen, as we wind to a conclusion here, I want to come back to the uh, FX scenario analysis uh, one more time. I said uh, that we're three to six months away 
probably from knowing whether the Fed's landing is a successful soft landing or a crash landing into the sea. And uh, I said that a soft landing would most likely bring a gentle relaxation lower in the U.S. dollar. I didn't mention it, but I will add now uh, my view that a crash landing by the Fed will lead to another 5% or so higher uh, in the U.S. dollar, and then a sharp move lower after the Fed is forced to cut. So uh, crash landing means high FX volatility in a U.S. dollar that spikes and then crashes. Stephen, can you please summarize what happens to the euro and pound, respectively, in the soft landing and crash landing scenarios? I think, Greg, if it becomes certain that the major European economies are going to have a hard landing, then we will run into new cycle lows in both euro dollar and cable, which would probably equate to 95.97 in euro dollar on a first order move, 115 in cable. To summarize where we currently are with our one to three month euro dollar and cable outlooks, we've basically just been suggesting that the risk of a hard landing is there, but it's not materially above 50% at this stage. But we acknowledge that a lot of the ingredients are probably there. It's just a question of whether or not they unite in the wrong way, if you want to put it that way. Um, so it's not the base case, but it's a risk. Uh, and quite simply, if Europe avoids a hard landing on the flip side, then the major European currencies have probably seen their lows for the cycle versus the dollar. One complicating factor for this picture I'll just add, though, Greg, which is that a hard landing for the U.S. economy is arguably very bad for the dollar medium term, but it's probably a bigger short term negative for the major European currencies in the world economy in the short term if it happens. Uh, so to frame this in the Top Gun context, if Maverick crashes the plane and causes a hard landing, then all the planes are going to crash. Well said. And I think we've probably pushed this analogy as far as we can. So it's a pretty good spot to wrap up for this week. Fair point, Greg. Let's wrap things up here. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Global Exchanges. Listen to past episodes and find transcripts at bmocm.com slash global exchanges. We'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. You can send us an email or reach out to us on Bloomberg. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast provider. This show and resources are supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show is produced and edited by Puddle Creative. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. 
Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise it constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of, issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal. 